Well, good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all. In the name of Christ our Lord. It is the word of Christ that is proclaimed this day. It is a place found for us, a table. In the proclaiming of the word, the breaking of the bread, we know the presence of Christ. It is a joy to be with you, to share with you in this time of worship, this Labor Day weekend. Thank you for being here. Those guests or visitors may be with us. We thank you for your presence. and It blesses us. And just a reminder that we find in our pews a registration pad to our right or left because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship with us at First Church this morning. Also helpful for us to be attentive to those opportunities that are before us. Uh, first, a week from Tuesday, there will be the presentation of retirement through uh, a spiritual lens. Martha Stokes is a member of the conference staff and does exceptional work, so I hope you may have time to be here at 4 o'clock. This will take place in the Uptown Ministry Center on the afternoon of September the 11th. Then the following Tuesday is the beginning of our six-week study of living faithfully. Uh, I hope you will be a part of that as well. David Muka, a retired pastor from Ro uh, Roanoke, will be with us to lead us in that six-week session, and that will take place at 7 o'clock here in our fellowship hall. I remember the opportunity to serve the church by way of participating in the Lunch Bunch ministry. I remember as well for the women of the church in particular, the Bad Girls of the Bible Study, which begins on the 18th. As we gather this morning, we speak of, of tradition and how that became an issue with Jesus and the leaders in the religious community. Uh, but before us, we see as well that we are invited to the table of our Lord. And uh, I find it a great delight to find my place at that table with you. We prepare to worship God together.
our call to worship is before us. Let us stand. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let us sing.
The table is set before us, and as we prepare to find our place at table with the most gracious of hosts, I invite us to share in this opening prayer. Let us pray. In our sharing bread today, we include in our company all God's saints. In our sharing of bread today, we include in our company the poor, marginalized, and rejected of this world. In our sharing of bread today, we include in our gathering those known to us and those not known who need a Jesus now. In our sharing of bread today, we include in our gathering Jesus, our incarnated, broken, and risen Lord. Amen. We prepare to share the word of God as it comes to us from the 15th Psalm, number 747, in our hymnals, and we share in proclaiming the word responsibly, and we will share this sung response as it is before us, and the choir will prepare us to share in this response. Who does not slander with the tongue, and does no evil to a friend, nor takes up a reproach against a neighbor. Who does not put out money at interest, and it does not take a bribe against the innocent. This is the word of our Lord. We stand as we sing.
We share the gospel lesson as it comes to us from Mark chapter 7. I'm going to, to change the scripture as it is before us slightly. I'm going to begin with verse 1 of chapter 7 and read through verse 13. And I know the PowerPoint may differ, uh, but there will be agreement through verse 8 at least. Uh, but then I will continue through verse 13. Let us pray. Lord, open our ears to hear your word, to hear your voice above all others. And in our hearing, may we feed upon your word and find ourselves satisfied with the word you provide. Amen. Now when the Pharisees gathered together to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, observing the tradition of the elders, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they purify themselves. And there are many other traditions which they observe, the washing of cups and pots and vessels of bronze. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with hands defiled? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold fast the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him surely die. But you say, if a man tell his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition which you hand on. And many such things you do. This is the word of our Lord. Well, it may be that those of us in the United Methodist faith have heard of something known as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, named after John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. Well, throughout my ministry, I and others with whom I have served have found the Quadrilateral to be a helpful tool by which to interpret and practice the faith. This Quadrilateral, as the name suggests, is a four-sided approach by which we are guided in our interpretation and our practice of the faith. Now, the four sides comprising this quadrilateral are these. First, we start with Scripture. Obviously, Scripture is primary in guiding us in understanding and practicing our faith. Now, in addition to Scripture, we are invited to draw upon reason that is, God's gift of thought and discernment, so as to interpret and practice our faith. Then we are called to draw from the gift of experience, experiences both individual and communal, so as to understand those ways in which we have experienced God have, and God has revealed himself to us, ways in which we know surely we are in the presence of the Lord. So we've got scripture, we have experience, we have reason, Meaning the fourth side of this quadrilateral then is that of tradition. So according to this Wesleyan quadrilateral, we are called to approach 
and embrace our life within the Christian faith by appealing to Scripture, to reason, to experience, to tradition. To put it another way, according to this quadrilateral, we cannot faithfully live as followers of Jesus without drawing upon the traditions of our faith, those traditions experienced now by way of our hymns and our prayers and our confessions, our studies, the sacraments. Traditions. Well, we can't rightly understand and practice the faith without Christian tradition, can we? Well, as we have watched on television the funeral services for the late Senator John McCain these past few days, it may be we've wondered why there is such universal affection for this man. Was there not such affection for him in part because Senator McCain has been seen as a man living according to long-standing and core traditions, defining what it means to be a citizen of the United States, Traditions such as honor, sacrifice, courage, service. In regard to the conversation in the United Methodist Church regarding human sexuality, those in the church who advocate maintaining the church's current stance justify their views by appealing in part to long-established traditions of the Christian faith. Traditions. It is a word informing conversations we share about our experiences of worship. We have all shared in these conversations at some time or place. And that of which I now speak applies to traditional versus contemporary worship. As our worship committee met this past Wednesday. Thank you. I like that. (laughs) Just a little dramatic interlude, right? Well, we are speaking of worship in our worship committee. We met this past Wednesday. And part of that meeting was given to conversation, citing differences between traditional and contemporary worship. Such conversations never too far from us. The differences we list between traditional and contemporary worship come quickly to mind. We speak to contemporary worship and we We list things such as newer, perhaps louder music. We speak of praise choruses. We may speak of more expressive, emotional responses during worship, of raised hands, of spontaneous prayer. We we may speak of casual clothing. We may speak of meeting in schools, fellowship halls, auditoriums. Speaking to traditional worship, we, we tend to speak of a more fixed and predictable order of worship, more formal clothing, the the use of bulletins and hymnals, sitting in pews in a sanctuary, stained glass, robes, stoles, choir, affirmations, doxology, written prayer. We engage in these conversations because this keeping or abandoning of tradition, well, it's a serious matter. It is a matter of great consequence. We speak of tradition. We may remember the musical production, Fiddler on the Roof. We may remember this musical as it begins with a song titled Tradition. 
And by way of this song, a Jewish father, Tevye, and his wife, Golda, and their five daughters sing of the importance of tradition. The importance of tradition in maintaining order within the home and beyond. And they do this because they live in a time in the early 20th century in imperialist Russia in which religious and cultural traditions are threatened by numerous outside influences. Sounds like a contemporary story, doesn't it? And one withstands such influences by clinging to those traditions that shape and inform our lives. To abandon these traditions, says Tevya, well, that means we make ourselves as unsteady as a fiddler on the roof. I enjoy and I, I appreciate that production. I've always appreciated the well-established sense of tradition identifying our Jewish brothers and sisters. I remember being at the Western Wall in Israel in the early 1990s and remember looking with reverence upon a bar mitzvah service in which a young boy of faith became a young man of faith. I remember knowing I was watching something sacred and holy as I saw a young father kneel at the wall. He did so because he wanted to look his son in the eye as he spoke to this young son about those practices of faith that tell us who we are and to whom we belong. Abandon tradition. Remove this adherence to tradition from the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Well, to do so would mean we make ourselves as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. Well, the scribes and Pharisees we meet in the gospel this morning are are they not simply making this same argument? That we as people of faith demonstrate our allegiance to our faith as we live according to tradition. These scribes and Pharisees, remember, observe the mealtime practices of the disciples of Jesus, and they don't appreciate these practices. According to these authorities, the disciples do not appropriately cleanse their hands before they eat. According to these authorities, the disciples do not appropriately cleanse their eating utensils, bowls and pots and the like. But the bottom line for these scribes and Pharisees, that which is more offensive to them than this particular incident is this. These disciples of Jesus don't follow tradition. They don't live according to the elders in the faith. They don't honor the practices of those who have gone before them. They're breaking tradition. Now, I know we quickly point our fingers at scribes and Pharisees and make them out to be the bad guys of the Gospels, the guys in the black hats. But before we do that this morning, let's step back and catch our breath look objectively at this story and confess they have a point. There are many reasons we as people of faith adhere to tradition. We know we do well 
to honor our elders and those who have gone before us, and by practicing the faith as the communion of saints practice the faith, do we, in a cavalier fashion, abandon our hymns? Do we abandon those confessions? Do we abandon our rituals, our practices, our liturgy, these symbols? So just how distant are we from these persons of faith who take offense that the disciples of Jesus abandon traditions defining the people of God? The ways we are to live, the behavior setting these people apart from all others. Is there not much to be said for those who wish to keep traditions which inspire and guide those whom God has called, those through whom God is to bless every nation of the earth. So you understand, if I don't stand before you this morning wishing to bash those who take offense at the ministry of Jesus, the truth is we stand closer than we realize to those whom we may easily vilify. We understand the complaints. These persons of faith left level at Jesus. So, so what do we as disciples of Jesus then do? As we realize we are not so far removed from those who opposed him as we had believed ourselves to be. It's a tough question, isn't it? It's tough for those who advocate for the keeping of tradition. Tough for those of us who believe respect to be shown in keeping creeds and wearing religious garb and singing hymns and offering prayers and keeping liturgy. It's tough for those of us who may at times hear others speak the word traditional as if they're saying an obscene word. So what to do for those of us who argue for keeping tradition? Well, perhaps we affirm the keeping of tradition is a most wonderful of practice as long as we understand the keeping of tradition points not to ourselves and our efforts, but to the God who keeps us through the keeping of tradition. Perhaps we understand the keeping of traditions is, is not so as to honor practices that we establish, but to honor practices established by the God who seeks to be in relationship with us by means of tradition. You see, it may be this is the problem with the scribes and Pharisees as we meet them in the gospel. Because it appears these religious authorities don't see the traditions of the faith as something pointing to something greater than themselves, but as, as traditions pointing and ending with them. And that is a risk aligned with the keeping of tradition. You see, it appears these religious leaders witness to a great irony we often know within the church at any time and at any place. And that irony is this. While we follow a Lord whose defining act was that of giving himself, emptying himself, so as to save all, 
we often do anything we can to save ourselves or to save the institution of the church. I can't help but believe this is at play here as these leaders argue with Jesus about keeping tradition. There is the fear of losing what they have always known. So do we abandon tradition? No. Nor are we to make an idol of it. It's not tradition that saves us. It is not tradition that makes us right with God. So perhaps we rightly understand tradition when we understand what is true about tradition is true about all of us. Tradition, like us, is now and always to live in service of God and now and always is accountable to the Lord of all. All things, including the tradition of the faith, are in service alone to the Lord of all heaven and earth. Amen. I invite us to stand as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed at number seven in the front of our hymnals and also before us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. We are a people of prayer, and we share at this time in the prayers of the people. It is a responsive pattern of prayer. You see the responses are before us, as I will speak various petitions of prayer, concluding each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and inviting from you the response, hear our prayer, inviting from you the names of those persons whom you'd like to remember, or circumstances or occasions that you'd like to lift to God as we pray. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for those traditions of the faith through which you work so as to shape us and define us and claim us and guide us. And we thank you for those words reminding us that all things are accountable to you, are subject to you, and are being service to you. So, Lord, help us remember that we are called to love you above all things, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And thank you, Lord, that you have set a place for us at your table, 
where you give us to yourself again, reminding us of your never-ending love for us. Lord, in your mercy. And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Lewis, Janine Howard, Ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. And hear our prayers joined with those of your saints who surround us even now as we worship and prepare to dine at your table. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Our prayer of confession is before us. I invite us to share in this prayer and to hear the good news of God's forgiveness. Let us pray. God, our fears and prejudices run deep. Sometimes we can only see our own point of view. We stick with those who are like us, rarely venturing outside our comfort zones. We do not hear those crying for justice and a true peace. We blame those who are suffering and in need instead of standing by them. We deny the power of your gospel to unite us with those who are different from us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Open us to new possibilities of life for all of your people and use us to enact the new life given in Christ. Hear this good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God, and let us welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ.
I'll invite our ushers to come forward as we worship God with his tithes and our offerings. Let us pray. Lord, so deep and so profound is your love for us, you give to us all things, even yourself. We give you thanks for these gifts entrusted to us, and we thank you for the opportunity to worship and serve you through the offering of these gifts, trusting that in your care they accomplish great things for the gospel of Christ. Amen.
Christ has told us, do this in remembrance of me. So we remember and we obey. And we find ourselves in the company of the most gracious of hosts. We celebrate our Lord's Supper, and I invite us to follow the liturgy as we may find it on page 9 in our hymnals or by following what is projected before us. Just a reminder that there are three sung responses that are part of this great Thanksgiving. These will be sung responses, and our choir will lead us as we come to those responses. Let us share in the great Thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people he healed the sick fed the hungry and ate with sinners by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and to death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. now with the confidence that we have as children of God, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and to deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we would give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. This is the table of our Lord to which each of you is invited. As you come down the center aisle, I remind you, you will see a mission box on each side. This being the first Sunday of the month, Communion Sunday, we place out the mission boxes and invite you to support the mission ministries of the church as you come forward to receive the bread and the cup. Our ushers will instruct you to come forward where you will receive from one of two stations a portion of the bread. You're invited to dip that into the cup that will be held before you. Invited to kneel for prayer as you feel led before returning by the side aisles to your pew. Our choir will come first. Come to the table of our Lord.
I invite us to share our closing prayer as it is before us, also at the bottom of page 11 in our hymnals. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our closing hymn, we stand as we sing. has been proclaimed, we have gathered at table, we have met and known and experienced the risen Christ. It is this Christ who goes with us, telling us we are the light of the world, and to let our light shine to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.